From KLCC Studios, this is Oregon on the Record. I'm Michael Dunn. If you were asked to name something that is both universally loved and hated, chances are you'd say social media. What other aspect of our lives gets so much scrutiny and outright derision, yet also gets so much of our attention and effort? Some say social media is a cesspool of racism and hatred. Others say it's a colossal waste of time, yet it's also an amazing connector and creator of community. Today on Oregon on the Record, you're going to hear from two University of Oregon professors who study social media and its impact. Through their study and analysis, they see a very muddled picture of what social media is, what it can do, and what it might become. What's clear is that it's become a central part of our lives, no matter our age, socioeconomic status, or political affiliation. One might say that today's show is about the good, the bad, and the ugly of social media. Today on Oregon on the Record, you'll hear from two experts who have some answers and some ideas of what might happen next in social media. Both are professors at the University of Oregon, one in public relations, the other in media. They teach about the impact of social media on our lives and institutions, such as media and business. In some ways, the platforms have done a lot of good at creating connections, community, and conversation. In other ways, they have greatly shaped our brutally polarized world. Regardless, social media is a massive force that shows no signs of stopping. Whether we like it or not, we all need to better understand the good, bad, and ugly of social media, and today's show is a step in that direction. First, you'll hear from a public relations expert at the U of O who believes that both the good and the bad of social media will be amplified the next year. Kelly Matthews, Senior Instructor of Public Relations at the University of Oregon School of Journalism, thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Happy to be here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm uh, happy to get a, a PR expert's uh, uh, analysis because in many ways, social media kind of needs some PR these days. There's been so much going on, but, you know, and, and a lot of it can be negative. But I, I wanted to start with this, sort of from your expert opinion regarding PR, you know, What's positive or good about social media as we sit here in 2024? You know, how is it still beneficial to businesses and individuals and organizations in this new year? Sure, you're right. There has been some sort of negative (laughs) attention to social recently. Um, But I think there is still a lot of positive. I think there's still a lot of potential. Um, You know, I often say the best and highest use for social media is creating communities of interest. You can connect with people who share your interests, connect with audiences, connect with um, consumers, connect with voters, donors, whoever it is, using these tools in ways that weren't possible before social media existed. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, I don't want to put you on the spot to say this is a good social media plas- platform or this is this is not. But I mean, are there maybe some 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 general things that some of the major social media platforms do that that what you talked about, you know, form that community, that connection? You know, what are some of those really kind of still good things that they're doing? Well, I think that you can put me on the spot because I have I have uh, begrudgingly left Twitter slash okay. X over okay. the last year. Um, I still have a presence there, but it was long my favorite because mm. it was the place that I could really find those communities. I was on Twitter for probably 13 years. Okay. I was in, uh, signed up in the first year of its existence. Wow. And, and spent a lot of time building community there. Okay. And so that fall has been very disappointing to me. <laughs> but part of it comes from the lack of ability to trust what I see, right? I see. It comes from 
the um, you know bot farms that are yeah. are rampant on tools like X um, that that provide amplification of mis and disinformation in ways that I don't have time or energy or even interest to really sort out. So I don't I don't pay attention anymore. I see. I see. Um, and then you know the verification aspect of social has been become such a sort of weird space. But the thing that Twitter did that was good was that it really put a stamp on people like media, people like institutions, um, people who had a, a public presence to say they are they are who they say they are. Yeah. And that's not true yeah. anymore. You can just yeah. pay for it. And yeah. so that that's really uh, it's really too bad because it reduces that credibility quite a bit. I, I think that's interesting, too, that, you know, obviously the people who run social media platforms are famous people. They're they're as well known as any celebrity athlete politician to some degree. And I'm I'm kind of, you know, as, as you talked about your migration off of the artist formerly known as Twitter. Um, you know, how does that factor in to, to that whole thing of 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 trust and, and, and accountability where where. Yeah, you might not be able to trust the CEO who's running the whole thing. I think that I think that factors into to that idea of we trust people like us. We yeah. trust people who we think we have the same interest or who we believe have our best interests at heart. And okay. frankly, we don't trust Elon Musk. We yeah. don't trust Mark Zuckerberg. We don't trust Mark, Jeff Bezos. Like those are are people who we have um, kind of inherent distrust because they are not like us. Hmm. And we understand, I think intellectually, we understand that social media is not a charity. They're all businesses. Sure. They're business entities. But we all use them as individuals. This is from not an organization perspective, but an individual perspective. We use them as very personal tools. And so that disconnect and that kind of cognitive dissonance between understanding it's a business, mm -hmm. but also wanting to share friends and family and life and sure. all of those pieces at the same sure. time is sure. tough. Yeah. You've used the pronouns we a few times. And obviously, you know, one of the reasons why I want to talk to you is because you're, prof you're a professor, you're an instructor, but you also have students who are of different ages and so on and so forth. I, I mean, you know, sitting here today, how do the different generations sort of not only just use social media, but maybe even view it? And, and again, in that lens of trust and, 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 you know, verification, if you will. That's a great question. So I'm a, I'm a Gen Xer and I okay. came to social media as a full grown adult using it for professional purposes. Yeah. Right. I didn't. Um, I often joke, and my students don't think it's funny at all, that I'm grateful <laughs> that there weren't, wasn't social media when I was a teenager. But the reality is yeah. I came to it as a business tool. It sure. wasn't a um, share my life in middle school kind of tool. <laughs> um, I think that um, the, the millennials who are kind of that 30s and 40s group right yep. now have um, a little different perspective. They were uh, digital immigrants, I think is the yeah, word that's that you right, get, that's right. yeah, you get heard, uh, <laughs> that gets used for that group. And then um, and then the Gen Z are the students that I have now. And I also have a teenager at home, mm -hmm. two teenagers almost at home. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I watch the way they use social. And yeah. it's very different because I think millennials were sort of a no holds barred, share the world. Um, your experiences are currency for relationships hmm. is, is how they used it so it sh they okay. shared a lot yeah i think gen z is kind of the pendulum swing the other direction where they actually don't share oh, that much publicly if you hmm. look at a lot of teenagers instagram feeds as an example yeah um they have maybe two or three posts and yeah. that's it 
And then yeah. they'll cycle through and they'll archive those and they'll post two or three new ones. Um, and so, but they do a lot of lurking and they do a lot of sharing on um, on kind of back channels through messaging, okay. through texting, through Discord, through hmm. other tools that aren't public. Okay. So there's still information sharing happening, but it's happening in different ways. Okay. Okay. Um, boy, I, I know this is a very general question, but I mean, you know, if you were advising like a business client or even just an individual or even your own teenager, you know, is there some good sort of, I guess I'll term it social media hygiene that, that, that can protect ourselves, but also, you know, continue to allow us to enjoy the experience? I think we have to be very intentional. And I would say that and have said that to my teenager mm -hmm. and have said that to clients that I consult with and provide strategy for um, is that you have to be very intentional. Nothing is social media only has to look spontaneous. And this is a little more maybe from a business perspective okay. than an individual, but it only needs to 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 feel spontaneous or to feel real time it always needs to feel authentic it always needs to feel real because mm -hmm. social media is social first and okay. so um using it as a channel to build relationships and using it as a channel to make those connections is really important but you still have to be super intentional and very planful okay. um and and thoughtful about what it is you want to accomplish and who it is you're talking to yeah yeah Boy, I, I hate to put you in the position of armchair quarterback, but I mean, what do you think 2024 is going to be like in terms of social media? What, what do you think might be some trends that either continue or maybe new trends might leap up in its place? I think what we have to watch for 2024 and beyond is, um, is and pay attention to both from a productive perspective as well as a cautionary perspective is AI. I think that's going to mm. dominate social okay. media. It's going to dominate communication. It's going to dominate yeah. a lot. Yeah. And I mean, not, not, I mean, generative AI and, and AI used to create images, to create content, to create um, words and, and videos and all of the pieces that we use in communication. I think it's, I think it can be a really powerful tool positively. I think it can provide some uh, insight and inspiration and and idea sharing and 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 frankly some streamlining of some processes that help from a time management perspective um, but it has a very very dark side and mm. so and so paying attention I had a, a speaker come into my class last year and he said 2022 is probably the last year that we can believe what we see wow and so that really kind of stuck with me and and feel felt very ominous in a mm -hmm. way um because i think there's really a lot of difficult uh, it's going to be challenging sure we are not collectively we are not very digital literate hmm. we're not very digitally literate we're not very media literate and we're not very scientifically literate hmm. and those kind of a trifecta yeah. um makes it very challenging to make sure that dis and misinformation doesn't get spread and get spread very quickly and get spread in a way that it can't be stopped so an organization can be um subjected to or a victim of a disinformation or misinformation campaign and it can be very difficult to manage that because of the way that artificial intelligence works and the way that that social media gets that the information gets spread so quickly yeah yeah well we could we could do i'm certainly we will do shows about ai uh, coming forward we'll have to leave it there right now but kelly matthews senior instructor for public relations at the u of o thanks so much for coming in and talking to us happy to be here we're now going to talk with a journalism professor at the University of Oregon who has both a good understanding of social media impacts in our country as well as globally. 
Damian Radcliffe, the Carolyn S. Chambers Professor in Journalism at the University of Oregon. Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Boy, why don't you just sort of, at a beginning question, why don't you recap some of the most from your perspective, impactful happenings in social media in 2023 and why they mattered? Gosh, that's that's a huge question. Yeah, I, I think I mean a couple of things that I would that I would point to. Uh, I mean, the first of which would be everything that's happening with Twitter slash X, mm-hmm. you know, rebranded during the course of the past year, um, and the way in which that has kind of morphed from being a much more uh, trusted news site, one that has been very heavily populated by uh, celebrities and media organizations and journalists in the past, to perhaps become a much more unmediated space. That is very much part of the goal that Elon Musk had. Yeah. Um, But one byproduct of that has been the rise of less civil discourse on that in that space. uh, And I think a lot more conspiracy theories and disinformation and challenges for audiences to navigate that so you know anybody can buy a verified account now um, and that in the past was one proxy by which you might kind of trust some of the information that you were seeing on that platform whether whether an account had a blue tick next to it yeah and the fact that you can buy that now for eight bucks a month <laughs> makes it <laughs> makes kind of a mockery of sure. that verification process sure and yet The platform itself was absolutely beloved, especially by journalists. It was a great platform to communicate, to get their their, their message out. I mean, are journalists still there? Is it still, does it still work for what they want to do? And and do you think it can continue in that way? That's a great point. I mean, I think Twitter had always punched above its weight in terms of the way in which it dominated media discourse. Mm -hmm. So it never had kind of like the mass audience base that you might might assume given the amount of coverage sure, that it picked sure. up uh, across the across the media so it there was a risk of it being a bit of a media echo chamber mm-hmm. but certainly you know many journalists found it an incredibly useful platform many brands and also celebrities because it gave them an opportunity to talk directly to their to their fans yeah yeah social media something like twitter tw- x threads i mean it's a story to cover, but it's also a platform of which to cover. How do journalists sort of navigate that space? And, and news organizations, you know, it's like I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna write a story about the latest ramblings of Elon Musk on on X, but I'm also going to use that same platform to, you know, kind of spread my story. And so this whole idea of authentic, authenticity and trust. How does it work? Um, it's, it's a good question. I mean, I think w- one of the challenges for journalists now is that uh, we don't just produce a story for whatever mm-hmm. platform it, it might be. That's just half our job. The other half is then to get it out into the public domain and to encourage people to click sure. through and read, listen, watch, and so forth. And so one of the challenges now for a lot of journalists is trying to understand, well, should they remain on a platform like Twitter slash, slash X, mm-hmm. or should they be devoting more of their attention to a emerging platforms like threads which, yeah. which you mentioned and of course um the, the the dichotomy for journalists is many of them have spent a long time building up an audience and a profile and a community on a platform like twitter and to then walk away from that and to go somewhere new be that mastodon blue sky threads or elsewhere sure. where you're literally starting with zero followers yeah is really hard because it takes you know, a long time to build up that that community so a lot of them are not very happy mm-hmm. with the tone of conversation and the kind of general way in which the platform is being run 
but they're very finding it very hard to leave. I bet, I bet. Let me reintroduce you. Uh, we're talking with Damian Radcliffe. He is a professor of journalism at the University of Oregon. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, five, ten years ago, it might have been easy to say a, a kind of a phrase or a sentence like this. There's traditional media and there's social media. Does that exist anymore? Is it is it so sort of interwoven that you can't really draw a line and say, this is it, this is this, and this is this? I think for audiences, they don't necessarily make that discernment. As content okay. creators, as journalists, we often do. But for audiences, you know, they just go wherever is the best place for them to find the news and information that they need. And, and increasingly, that's on social media. Uh, for a while now, audiences are more likely to find the news on social platforms okay. rather than through search or going direct to an organization's uh, website or app. Okay. You know, one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because not only do you know so much about the media landscape in this country, but you also know a lot about what's going on in, in Europe and, and in the UK. And I guess, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on, are there a lot of differences in usage? Is there a lot of differences in sort of maybe perhaps governmental mandated guardrails for social media between, you know, on that side of the pond versus here? Talk about that. Yeah. So th there is all of those things. Okay. So, I mean, it's super interesting that for example, one of the success stories over the last few years has been the rise of TikTok. Okay. How important that is as a platform, particularly for younger audiences. You know, when we look at uh, stories and developments over the course of the last year, for many younger audiences, where they're going to get their news about what's happening in the Middle East, for example, is not traditional media organizations, okay. but TikTok. And hearing direct from people on the ground, journalists in Gaza, from Gaza, sharing their experiences and getting perspectives and points of view that they feel they're not coming across, getting across on mainstream media. I imagine, in addition to teaching, you have a lot of interaction with, with young adults who see social media quite differently than you do, or perhaps I do. You know, what are some observations or insights that you've gotten from your students about how they view social media, how they use it? Are they as skeptical as maybe somebody my age is, or, or maybe they're not? Uh, yeah, they use it very differently from from, okay. people, from people of our age. I mean, um, you know, for example, they live on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube, and they really don't use platforms like Facebook except to sort of interact with their parents and their grandparents, <laughs> or because they have to for things like Facebook Marketplace and, and, and so forth. Hmm. So their preferences tend to be much more visual, okay. much more video-based, much okay. more short-form, um, and that tends to be where they also go first to find the news. So if you think about what apps you might open on your phone or what media you might consume when you first wake up in the morning, it's probably very different to sure. what a 20, 21-year-old is doing. Sure. Do they trust social media more than they trust the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the local paper, CNN, whatever? Not necessarily. I think there is a an element of healthy skepticism, and that's something that we definitely try to instill and drill into them, the fact that you need to be critical consumers of media on whatever platform it may be. Um, but I think part of the appeal of a lot of these um, other platforms is not just the fact that they're more visually oriented, but also the ease with which anybody can create content and post to them. Sure. And so the likes of the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and so forth, I think that they may have a high level of trust in those organizations, but they don't necessarily feel that the media that they create speaks to them, to their interests, to their passions, the way they in which see they see the world, and that therefore actually content creators uh, 
who may or may not be professional uh, journalists on these other platforms the way in which they communicate and the issues they choose to explore often speaks much more directly to that younger audience. Got it, got it. My last question for, for you as we're getting towards the end here is anything, you know, both as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an expert, but also as a user, what are you kind of interested in seeing what might happen with social media in 2024? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think obviously we're in an election year. Mm -hmm. And so seeing how that plays out on social is going to be very interesting. Um, Whether people are using different social networks to find out about what's happening in the election and also to uh, comment and contribute to that to that dialogue Um, and then of course we also can't ignore the rapid rise of generative AI artificial Mm. intelligence and the ability to create content uh, across multiple social networks more easily uh, than ever before and that can be advantageous for genuine uh, discourse, but it can also there's a risk of a of an increasing rise and in proliferation of uh, misinformation and uh, bad actors harnessing uh, that technology. So, um, I think we have to continue to consume our media on whatever platform it is uh, with an element of healthy skepticism and always you know don't trust the first thing you see or read or hear use multiple sources and use that to help build your and your worldview and your understanding of the world around you that's good advice good advice well damian radcliffe the carolyn s chambers professor in journalism at the university of oregon really appreciate you coming in and talking to us that's Thank the show so much for, for having me like it or not social media has proven both its impact and staying power The genie is forever out of the bottle, and whether or not it becomes a force for good or ill is entirely up to us, the ultimate user. At its best, social media can create community and connection. At its worst, it can create hatred and division. And at the end of the day, every user must decide how they want to engage with it. I want to thank my guests for coming on the show, Kelly Matthews and Damian Radcliffe, professors at the University of Oregon. This show, along with all episodes of Oregon on the Record, is available at klcc.org. I'm Michael Dunn, and this has been Oregon on the Record from KLCC. Thanks for listening.